If you're not a Christian, listen to this astonishing news. God, who made planet Earth and the stars and the whole universe and everything in it, invites you to come into his family and to have him as father caring for him. What astonishing news. I'll say a bit more in a minute about how you get into his family and have him as father caring for him. But this morning, we're hearing about God's family. We're hearing about God's family because here on earth, his family is the church. And we've been hearing for the past few weeks what we should be like as a church. What's our vision for? What, what should we be like as Hollywell Church? For the last few weeks, we've been hearing this. Let's have Daniel, please. We've been hearing we should be a church that is looking up, that is depending on God, worshipping God, doing everything to glorify God. That we should be a church that is reaching out, that is bringing the good news of Jesus to more people and displaying him in our daily lives. We've been hearing that we should be a church that is coming closer. And last week we heard that that means firstly and mostly coming closer to God. Fellowship with God is needed for fellowship with each other, coming closer to each other. We're not just a social club. It's about people in relationship with God relating to each other. This week, we're continuing that coming closer theme. Same theme again, coming closer. And the main message I'm trying to get across this morning is this. The church is not an aeroplane to serve you. It's the body of Jesus to work together to bring glory to God through Jesus. Okay, that might sound very strange to you, but as you'll guess, I'm going to explain it to you. But let me state it again. Here is what I'm trying to get across this morning. The church is not an aeroplane there to serve you. It's a body to work together to bring glory to God through Jesus. Now, think about traveling in an aeroplane. What do you do? Well, you just sit on a seat and others serve you. You sit back and others serve you. You're a passenger and you choose the airline that will serve you best. And if they don't serve you well, get a different airline if they go where you want to go. Now, people sometimes treat the church like that. You could think maybe of the elders as the pilots in the cockpit. They are to steer this plane and to get it going in the right direction. You could think of the deacons as being like the cabin crew. Don't know if they look as good as the cabin crew often do. But they're there to make sure that you feel comfortable. Yes, and not just to look nice, but to make sure you feel comfortable. You are a passenger being served. No, says the Bible, that is not the model of the church. The church isn't an aeroplane to serve you. It's a body of people who work together to bring glory to God through Jesus. And all the Christians are parts of that body that work together. And we find this in 1 Corinthians 12. Well, you find it elsewhere as well. But let's turn first to 1 Corinthians 12. If you've got a Bible, would you turn to 1 Corinthians 12? There are plenty of Bibles on the shelves at the back because it's really going to help you if you can see that I am getting this from God's word and see how it fits together. This passage gives us a model of the church. Let's see that model now. First of all, 
the body of Christ in verses 12 and 13. The body of Christ in verses 12 and 13. The church is a body. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. And so see verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with the church. Well, were you looking at the verse? This is a reason to have a Bible. Were you looking at the verse? Because it doesn't say that, does it? The body is a unit, it's one, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with the church. What have I got wrong? It says with Christ. But it is about the church. It is about the church. The whole chapter is. If you read the whole chapter, you find the theme is the church. And if you were unclear, you could jump to verse 27. Now you, and this is written to a church, not an individual, a church. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And in the church. Do you see, it is all about the church. But verse 12 doesn't say the body, so it is with the church. It says, so it is with Christ. It's telling us the church isn't just a social organisation. The church isn't just a club of people getting together to do some good, although I hope we do. The church is the body of Christ. The church is people who represent Jesus Christ to the world. How? They've been brought into relationship with him, close just like the relationship between a head and a body. They've been made his family to change the picture. They've been adopted by God, his father. And so their family along with him. They've been given his character so they can reflect him to the world. How has this happened? Well, look at verse 13. Verse 13. For we are all baptised by one spirit into one body. The spirits baptise us into this body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, whatever social or ethnic difference. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, this is not about the baptism that happens down here in a pool of water. That is a symbol of what verse 13 is talking about. This is about the work of the Holy Spirit in us. What does the Holy Spirit do? He takes what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and he applies it to us. On that, Jesus did something 2,000 years ago, but it needs to be applied to us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died so that road blockage, our sin, could be got out of the way and we could know God and be brought into his family. But that was long ago and far away. We need it now applied to us. We need it now to take effect in our lives. And that's what the Holy Spirit does now. And it's called in verse 13, being baptised by the Holy Spirit. And water baptism is a symbol of that. Because it's what happens at the start of every Christian life. If you're not a Christian... Do you realise you need what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? Dying because we are such sinners that our sin blocks the way to God. And you need the work of the Holy Spirit now to change your heart, to change your mind. 
You need to let go of any self-confidence. I can do this. I can sort myself out. Come on, tell me what I need to do. What good things do I need to do? How many times a day should I read the Bible and I'll make myself into a Christian? Now, you need to let go of any thought like that. And you need instead to have confidence in God to mend your relationship with him. By Jesus dying 2,000 years ago, he's done it. But by the Holy Spirit now, working that out in your life, and you can ask him for that. Will you ask him for that? Will you admit you can't, you can't mend the relationship, but you're asking him to do it for you? And then he's very ready and eager to welcome you into his family. The church is the body of Christ. The church is, secondly, a body working together. This is verses 14 to 20. A body working together. Now, verses 14 to 20 are about encouraging people who think they are not useful in the church. And it goes a bit like this. I'm going to put it into my own language. What can your hand do that your foot can't? Now, you're all hopefully now thinking up examples, aren't you? What can your hand do that your foot can't? Well, your hand can write a letter. In my case, it's the left hand. Write a letter. I know there are some clever people who can, with their foot, hold a paintbrush and paint a picture, but it's not ideal, and most of us can't. My my feet can't write. Open a bottle. Think think of that, children. Imagine trying to open a bottle with your feet. How are you going to get on? Grip the bottle with one foot and get the bottle top between the toes of the other foot? No, I don't think you can do it. Try to, well, no, that might be a bad idea, mightn't it? Bottle of Coke all over the floor. I bet it won't be all over the floor, though, because I bet you won't get it open. Now, imagine the foot looking at the hand. Obviously, this is imaginary. The foot looking at the hand and saying, I can't write a letter. I can't open a bottle. I'm useless. I'm no good. I'm no help to the body. Ridiculous, isn't it? That's ridiculous, and it's verse 15. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. What use would the hand be if you didn't have feet to get you to the pen or to get you to the bottle to open it? The body needs hands and feet, and God has put all the parts in the body together to work together. That's verse 18. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, together, working together. But 1 Corinthians 12 is not a lesson in biology. No, it's a picture of the church. This is all a picture of the church. Just like the varied parts of the body, hands and feet, and all the different parts work together, so the varied people of the church are to work together. And 1 Corinthians 12 has this big emphasis on unity, it's one body, and variety. It's made of lots of different people. Unity and variety. So, do you think of yourself as a part of the body with a role to play, or as a passenger in a plane to be served and grumble to the cabin crew if you're not served well enough? Now, as you answer that question, I hope you are answering that question. You answer, are you answering it? Which do you think of yourself as? As you answer it, 
You must be broad in your idea of usefulness, in your idea of service. We must be broad. We're often too narrow. It doesn't mean everyone has a role that could be reported on at a church meeting. It doesn't mean that. Let's give an example. Here's a made-up example. Jane and Jamil are both too frail to lead a group in a church, to take on a role and lead an activity. They're just too frail to manage it. They can manage to get to church on a Sunday morning, and that's about it. That's a real effort for them. And it's just about it. What they can do is very limited. But that's what they both do. And it looks like they're both doing the same thing, but they're not. Jane comes to church to get. As she comes to church, her thought is, will the sermon be any good? What will I get from it? I hope I enjoy the music. I hope they've got hymns that I like this morning. She comes to church to get. Jamil comes to church to give. As she comes, her thoughts are, will I worship in spirit and truth? Will I be part of the church being a demonstration there are people who think God's word is worth working out listening to? Even if the sermon's a bit boring this morning, I'm going to work out what does God have to say to me? Then afterwards she thinks, who are the people who are new here or who are on their own? I'll go and talk to them. Oh, I wonder how so-and-so's week has been. I'll go and ask her about it. Now, do you see, what they do both looks the same. They're too frail to manage more than just get to church with some effort on a Sunday morning. But they're very different. Jane is a passenger in a plane. Jamil is part of a body, a useful part of the body. You've got the same teaching in Romans 12. If you've got a Bible, would you just turn back a few pages to Romans 12 and you've got the same teaching. And many of you will recognise that we saw this in home group a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 12. Again, the church is a body and people have different roles and different gifts. Verse 4. Verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. He's talking about the church again. And we're told to use those gifts and roles to serve each other. That's verses 6 to 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And it goes on and gives examples of different gifts, and it's saying use them to serve each other. And in the middle, you notice I've jumped a verse, in the middle there's a A strange phrase in verse 5. Right there in the middle in verse 5, a striking phrase. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Notice again, it's in Christ, it's his body. It's not just a club. But look at this. And each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. What a striking phrase. We are each to regard ourselves as belonging to all the others. What does that mean? Have a little think about it. It's it's been about serving each other. Verses 6 to 8 are about serving each other. And before that it says we belong to each other. Now, can you see what that might be getting at? What sort of serving comes from someone who belongs to someone else? Or isn't a servant someone who belongs to someone else and serves them? Do you see, we are saying 
I belong to all the others here. I am their servant. I am here to serve them. Now, in our me-first society, in our society where everything is a self-fulfillment project, what a radical attitude. Compared with, I'm a passenger in a plane, I'm not getting served very well, I'll find another airline. What a radical attitude. Do you regard yourself as belonging to the fellow Christians sitting around you now? Don't be abstract. Don't be theoretical. And it's not just the ones you get on with or the ones that are particularly easy. Do you regard yourself as belonging to the fellow Christians sitting around you at this moment? That's what the church is to be. But this isn't just functional. It isn't just about getting the job done. So, thirdly, so we've had the body of Christ, we've had a body working together, and back in 1 Corinthians 12, have you got your thumb in that? 1 Corinthians 12, we have thirdly, a body united together. Verses 21 to 26, a body united together. Paul's model of the church is not a car engine. I was going to say it could have been, but you know, historically that's not possible. But I mean, it would still work. Because in a car engine, you have got the drive shaft and the gearbox and the radiator. And, well, I won't say too many more because I'll show my ignorance. But those are engineers, you know, don't you? There's a lot of parts and they're all different and they're working together as one. And if this wasn't historically nonsense, that could have been Paul's model of the church. But it's not. It's a body that is feeling and living and has dignity. The church is not just a machine to get a job done. It's a united living body. And this paragraph we're in now, verses 21 to 26, shows two ways that goes beyond just getting the work done. First of all, it means mutual respect. Verses 21 to 24 are about mutual respect. In other words, honouring each other. Honouring each other. Seeing each other's worth. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Do you see, the paragraph we were in was people who think, I'm no good, I'm not a worthwhile part of the body, I'm not needed. This paragraph is people thinking, you're not needed because you don't look very impressive. And it's about valuing each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Someone might have striking deep brown eyes. And his hands might be rough and unattractive. And they're quite distant from the eyes, aren't they? But the eyes can't say, I can see why I need the face, because I'm in the face. And the neck is pretty useful. But you, hand, you're pretty ugly and you're a long way from me. I don't need you. No. Because God's made them to work together. God has designed them to rely on each other. All the parts of the body have worth and honour. Verse 23. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. It's obviously talking about our private parts. We honour them by covering them. But again, it's not a biology lesson or it's not a lesson about wearing clothes. It's a lesson about the church and respecting and honouring each other. Do you 
respect and honour your Christian brothers and sisters. In the church around you now. Are you more likely to grumble about them or to express admiration for them? Are you more likely to spot what they're getting wrong or to spot a way they're being a good example? Are you likely to put effort into thinking about a way they're a good example and expressing your admiration for them? Or just take the easy option and grumble? Here's a suggestion, something that might help us with this. Use the church prayer calendar. I I should have got a copy to wave around and show you, but I haven't. And we're actually in the process of producing a new one because it's got out of date. But for those who don't know, it's a sheet that has got all the members of the church and spaces to add in other people to help you pray for each other across a month. Well, how about this? Get hold of the church prayer calendar and For each person, think of the challenges they face in a normal day. Think of the issues going on in their life. Think of what they do in daily life. Think of ways they're good example. Which might just be that they they actually keep going without making a big fuss through some real difficulties. Think about them. Thank God for specific things about them. Now, if we all did that... About each other for a month, wouldn't that promote some mutual respect? The the church is to be a body united together by mutual respect and also by mutual sympathy. This is verses 25 and 26. Mutual sympathy. I wonder if you've had appendicitis. I'm sure some people have. I see some nodding heads. Uh, Thankfully, I haven't. Think about appendicitis. Your appendix gets an infection. Now, I don't know much about biology, but I'm pretty confident your appendix is quite a small part of the body. So when the appendix gets an infection, does the rest of your body just carry on in its own way, merrily unaware of what's going on in the appendix? Now, I think... The whole of your body is affected and you just generally feel dreadful and you might end up in hospital and you might need some drastic action taken. A little part of the body infected, but the rest of the body knows full well. We could say the appendix suffers and the rest of the body suffers with it. And that is verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured... Every part rejoices with it. Again, it's not biology, it's the church. One person in the church is bereaved. Do we all feel it? Of course we won't feel it equally as much as they do. But do we feel something of it? Or are they left to fend on their own, feeling alone? If one person in the church who's been looking for work gets a job, will we all rejoice with them? Even if we're still looking, and that's a little difficult. Will we even know those things have happened? Or is it just something going on in another passenger sitting elsewhere in the plane? We don't even know. Now, I think that's quite a challenge for us at Hollywell, especially when you put it together with verse 25. Did you notice the end of verse 25? Its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now, I don't think this means no particular friendships. I don't think it means you know exactly what's going on with everyone else. 
That would be a a recipe for a gossip shop. But equal concern for each other. There's not these groupings where one group are together and another group are not. Now, I've got a question about this that I don't know the answer to, but I want us to think about it. Can we have, can we know each other? Can we have mutual sympathy? Can we have equal concern with over 150 people? I don't know if we can. Now, one answer to that is say, no, we can't. So what we've got to do is work at our small groups, what we call home groups. And within our home groups, we can know each other, have concern for each other, have that mutual sympathy. So my next question is, does that fit the Bible's pattern? Is it okay to have the, the groups are like the bodies that have that concern for each other and the church is like an umbrella organisation over them? Or is the pattern here that local church is to be a body where if one part suffers, all suffer with it? Now, these are genuine questions. I don't have definite answers, but I do think it is, a, it is an issue that we at Hollywell face and cannot avoid. We need to get an answer to. Can a group of over 150 people fit the pattern? Or have we misunderstood the pattern? Have I misunderstood the pattern? Again, I've sort of stepped out of preaching because I'm suggesting a question I don't have an answer to. But the preaching bit is saying, look, the Bible confronts us with this and we need to give it serious thought. I'll try to be briefer on the fourth part. Here's the last part. We have, lastly, a body led together. Verses 27 to 31. A body led together. A strange thing happens in verse 28. Paul has been emphasising the honour and the worth of all parts of the body, especially the, the parts that you might not notice. The people you might not see what use they're being. He's especially emphasised them. And then in verse 28, he seems to start ranking people. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. He seems to be ranking people in the church. What's going on? Well, I think the explanation, or at least part of it, is leadership in the body. These are people with leadership. It doesn't mean they are more honourable and important than the other parts. It's not going back to the church is a plane with passengers and crew. Definitely not. The church is a body, but it's a body with leadership. And this is clearer if we turn forward to the third place you've got this model, Ephesians 4. Let's quickly turn to and have a look at Ephesians 4. Third place in the New Testament where you have this model of the church is a body. Ephesians 4, do you see it's a body, verse 12, it talks about the body of Christ. And by the way, it's in a letter that's written to a church, and it's all about the church, the letter of the Ephesians. The church is a body, verse 12, the body of Christ. But it's a body that has leaders, verse 11. It was he, that's Jesus, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Jesus has given leaders to this body. He's given pastors. Now, what's what's a pastor? Children, it's not pastor that you eat. It's a pastor. 
What's a pastor? Sounds fancy, but it's not. I don't know why we've stuck with, it's a Latin word, by the way, and I don't know why our English translations have stuck with, the, with Latin and not put it in English. And it's simply the word shepherd. That's all it is. It's the word shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Lead sheep. You see, there's leadership. The shepherd leads the sheep. But it's not a grand job. No, no. They're just leaders of sheep. By the way, look through the New Testament at descriptions of elders and you'll find unavoidably this conclusion. The elders are pastors. They are told to shepherd the flock. They fit the description of pastors. Hollywell Church doesn't have one pastor. And when Seth was here, it didn't have two pastors. No, it has four pastors. All the elders are pastors. That's unavoidable from the New Testament description of what elders are to do, shepherding the flock. Well, let's try to think about how these pastor elders fit into our model of the body. Okay, if the church is the body and it has leaders, does that mean the elders are the brains of the body? Oh, I like that idea. The elders are the brains. The elders are the head. No. Look at verse 15. Jesus is the head. Verse 15, it tells us the head is Christ. When the Bible gives pictures and parables, it's not expecting us to try to work out all the details. Usually it's just one big picture and you're supposed to get the general thrust. You're not supposed to think, who in this church is the big toe? Who in this church is the left lung? You're not supposed to try to get all the details. It's giving us one broad lesson. But if you want to consider the elder pastors to be any particular part of the body, they are this, the digestive system, the gut, the stomach, the intestines. Okay, Alistair and Paul and Barclay and me, we are the gut. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good as the brains, does it? Why am I saying that? What does the gut do? It supplies the body with energy and protein and vitamins and the things needed so the body can grow and do its work. And that's exactly what verse 11 and 12 are saying. Jesus gave verse 11 people so that, verse 12, the body of Christ may be built up. It may be built up. And so that... Sorry, I've missed out the beginning of verse 12. God's people may be prepared for works of service that build up the church. What do the elders supply? Well, what are the verse 11 people? What have they all got in common? They are all people who speak God's word. They're all people who speak God's word. They speak the word of God so that the people of God are equipped to serve, prepared to serve, stirred up to serve. And then the whole body is built up as it works together as a body. Verse 16. From him, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's a wonderful verse. Pity we can't spend long on it. But it it all comes from Jesus because he gives the people who speak his word and lead the church. But they're not the crew and everyone else's passengers know 
They are the gut supplying the body so we can all work together. And notice verse 16, it's in love. It's not just a machine functioning. It's with mutual sympathy and mutual respect. And we all do our work together so that we're a body that grows and represents Jesus to the world. Now, isn't that far more attractive than the church is a plane with pa- where I sit and get served by the cabin, cabin crew and hope that the films are enjoyable. Far more attractive. The church is a body. It's not any old body. It's the body of Jesus Christ himself. A body that works together, united together, led together to represent Jesus to the world. Are you part of that body? You turn from your way and put your trust in Jesus and be made part of that body. And is this your approach to the church? Let's pray.